0: For the last four months, we've uh, we've been traveling through the land of Revelation, and it has been a journey, hasn't it? Well, ever since chapter four, do you remember chapter four? This was uh, John's vision of heaven, the throne room of God, the lightning, the thunder, the, the crystal glass sea, this, this rainbow. Ever since chapter four, I, I've had this question stuck in my mind. It, it's just, it's this question that won't escape me, it's just that's... It's just like stalking me just for the last three or four months. What will heaven be like? Have you thought about that? What will heaven be like? If, if you were to draw a picture of heaven, what's it look like? If you were to tell a young child what heaven will be like, what, what would you say? If you made a top 10 list, the things that will be in heaven, what, what's on your list? God? Jesus. Angels, I think. Streets of gold, maybe. Is that in the Bible? There's not sin, there's not death, there's not tears, there's not crying. What, what would be on your list? What, what is your vision? What is your picture? What, what's heaven going to be like? I mean, I'm talking for all of eternity, for, for hundreds and thousands and trillions of years, forever. It sounds like a really long time, doesn't it? Forever, what will heaven be like? Ecclesiastes chapter three says, um, verse 11 says that, that God is set, that, that God has placed eternity in the heart of man, that, that we have this, this natural, this, this intrinsic desire. We, we have this feeling that this world is broken, that, that we are missing out, that we have this anticipation that, that this world is not all that there is, that there is something better to come forever. What will heaven be like? See, when I read scripture, it's so clear, the, the authors of scripture, that, that they have this, this perspective of heaven, that, that they think about heaven. And it, and it changes the, the way that they live now, that it, it helps them release their grip here on this world. But I think the reality for us, we don't think about mortality. We don't think about death. We don't think much about eternity unless we are in suffering or a trial or maybe we've recently lost a loved one. We are so fixed on the here and the now and the busyness of this life that we have lost this hope, that we have lost this promise of what God has promised of what heaven will be like. Hey, grab your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians. This morning, we're going to look at the promise of heaven. We're going to look at the hope of heaven. Um, We're not going to cover everything. We're just going to hit a few things. The promise of heaven, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This is going to be an overview of what heaven will be like. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Let's look in verse nine, and, and I want to start this morning with, with four things I think are important, four things that I just need to put out on the table, four disclaimers, okay, um, before we get started. Disclaimer number one, I have never been to heaven, and I am assuming none of us have ever been to heaven, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse nine, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard. Nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. See, here's the problem. There, there's a lot of bogus stories about heaven. You know what I'm talking about? A lot of these, these best-selling books, these, these claims of these, these near-death experiences where, where somebody for a short period encounters heaven. You know what I'm talking about? That, that there was this near-death experience, and, and whoever it was, that, that they were walking towards this bright light, and they got through, and here on the other side, they, they for a moment are in heaven, and and they see grandpa, and they're like hanging out with grandpa in heaven. There's a lot of bogus stories, 2020 episodes, best-selling books about heaven. Not true. Hey, it's a good story. It's blending Truth with fiction, but the actual events of what actually happened, not true. It says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared. Disclaimer number one, I haven't been to heaven, you haven't been to heaven. Disclaimer number two, there's a mystery about heaven. Look what it says. No no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined. We, We are... We are incapable of of fully comprehending the the mystery of heaven. God has placed it in our our heart. He he has promised it to us, but but in our in our little limited minds, we we cannot grasp eternity. We, We cannot grasp the beauty, the glory of heaven. So even for this morning, as, as we go through what heaven will be like, even at the very end of it, we, we will still fail in fully understanding the, the reality and the mystery of heaven. But what God's word doesn't say is he doesn't say don't imagine. He, he doesn't say don't think, don't consider what heaven will be like. He just says that we're, we're limited, that we're incapable, that we cannot fully imagine the place that God has prepared so I haven't been to heaven. Heaven is a mystery. But look at verse 10. Disclaimer number three, the Bible says a lot about heaven. These things, uh, the, the place that God has prepared, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths, even the mystery of God. See, we can't fully imagine or comprehend the reality of heaven, but, but God can, He created it. It's his place. He made it. And so through the spirit, God has has pulled back the curtain. He has revealed the mystery, the the truth, the promises of heaven. And he's done that in his word. Hey, all in favor of, of knowing what God's word has to say about heaven. So through prophets like Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel, the apostle Paul, and John, who wrote Revelation, we, we have visions, we have a picture, we, we have a, a picture of what heaven will be like. God has, has revealed, he has shown us, yes, there's a mystery, but the Bible says a lot about heaven. Disclaimer number four. This morning, we're, we're going to be talking about a permanent heaven, okay? A, a permanent heaven. So, so to be absent from the body right now is to be in the presence of the Lord, But to be in the presence of the Lord right now, as the Bible talks about, it refers to it like Revelation chapter four as this this intermediate state, this this temporary heaven. This is is before the rapture, before the resurrected bodies. This is before Revelation 21 and 22, the, the promise of the new heavens, the new earth. And so what we're talking about this morning is the permanent heaven. And if I have completely just confused you, Pastor Doug is going to be hitting that later on in the series, the, the intermediate state, the soul state of heaven. Uh, what I'm focusing on this morning is the, the forever heaven, the endless heaven, the permanent heaven. So this morning is going to be a biblical theology where we're going to be looking at what the Bible says heaven will be like. We're not going to be camping out in one passage. We're going to be turning around through Scripture and and I want to start with uh, with five myths, five myths of what heaven will be like. Uh, the reality is we we haven't been to heaven, and and there's a lot of bogus claims about what heaven will be like. And I think the first one, myth number one, heaven will be boring. Revelation thirteen verse six. Satan opens his mouth and, and he blasphemes, he, he lies. He, he spreads these myths about what heaven will be like. See, Satan doesn't have, have to get us to, to not believe in heaven. He just has to make us think that heaven will be boring. Do you know the myth? That, that in heaven it's this, this like floating souls, this, this zero gravity that we're like hanging out on, on clouds. This, this, this boring myth of, of heaven that, that we will like, be playing these harps, like these little chubby angel babies with halos and, and just kind of hovering, floating around. that It'll be this, like, this endless church service that goes on and on. And you know what I'm talking about. You've heard this myth. I don't like the harp. Does anybody like the harp? Nobody wants to die and become a ghost. Sadly, I, and I think us, we have been to church services, and honestly, the, the thought of doing that forever and ever and ever, don't leave me alone up here. You know what I'm talking about. I see where this myth is coming from. <laughs> Imagine if, if we have these, like, white, white, flowing robes? This, this myth is saying that we are in like this zero gravity, okay? Zero gravity with robes does not go very well. When we would be worshiping, we would be worshiping like this, right? Uh, see, I think there's this myth of heaven. And if, if we picture heaven as this, this floating clouds, as these heart-playing baby angels with halos and robes, if, if we picture heaven like that, it's not gonna change how we live here and now. See, the way that we think of heaven, our reflection of heaven is is a direct connection to how we think about God. And so if we think that heaven will be boring, we think that God is boring. That is a myth, that is not true. Turn to Ephesians chapter two, Ephesians chapter two. Paul, who wrote Ephesians, he has seen a vision of heaven. He knows what he's talking about. Through the inspiration of, of, the, of the Spirit, a lot of times we, we look at Ephesians 2 as, as the way to get to heaven, but it actually tells us what heaven will be like. It tells us what we will be doing in heaven. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You have been saved, in verse six, and raised us up with him. He, He has resurrected us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ so that in the coming ages, look at verse seven, so that, the reason that we have been raised up, the reason we have been resurrected and placed, seated in heaven, the reason, so that, the purpose is that in the coming ages, that that forever he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. See, God has something to show us in heaven. It is immeasurable. That means you cannot measure it. You cannot contain it. You can't even classify it. It's not limited. It doesn't run out. He's talking about his grace. The reason that that we are in heaven forever in the coming ages for endless eternity is God wants to show us his grace, his immeasurable riches. See, that means that we are not just saved by grace, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. We are saved for a future grace. This grace that is even richer, this this grace that is even more glorious, this this grace that continues to go and go, and this grace that the Lord is pouring out new every single morning. It's immeasurable. It does not stop. It does not end. Every day, it's this, this new grace that the Lord is revealing to us, See, heaven is not just the absence of sin and temptation. Heaven is this this ongoing, this continuously growing in our relationship with the Lord as as He increases our our understanding of Him, as He connects us in relationship and and harmony with Him, as, as we continue to see just the glory of His grace that's immeasurable, that's even richer than the grace that's applied at our salvation. And it goes on and on, this relentless grace. Heaven will not be boring. Psalms 16, verse 11. In the presence of the Lord, there is this fullness of joy. That that we will be filled with joy. That that the Lord will, will flood us with joy. Joy is the supernatural delight that comes from the Lord. And for all of eternity, this, this ongoing joy will be relentless. It, it'll be unimaginable, inexplainable. It's just beyond words. Listen, if we, we take our best day here, take your best day here on this earth, the most amount of joy you've ever received, and that is just a, a glimpse, that is just a taste of what's to come in heaven as God floods us with his joy. And his pleasures forevermore. That that God has created pleasure. God made pleasure. He has made us to crave pleasure. But we have hijacked pleasure. We have twisted and and because of sin we have corrupted pleasure. When when the Lord wants to give us pleasure but we are seeking pleasure in, in so many of the wrong places. And in heaven we will have this endless, this relentless, this this pleasure that's coming from the Lord. If we take the greatest amount of pleasure that that you can even think of here on this earth, that is just a taste. That, That is just a glimpse of what is to come in the perfection, in the purity, in the beauty of heaven. See, heaven is not boring because God is not boring. He is going to show us his immeasurable grace, new every single day. He's going to flood us with joy. He is going to give us pleasure that's unexplainable. Heaven is not boring. Parents, do you know what the sound of boredom is? Okay, we just finished like the summer. Um, I'm guessing like the sound of boredom is ringing in your ears, do you know where, where, where boredom comes from? It comes from the thought that whatever I'm doing right now, it's not that I don't have something to do. It's, it's whatever I'm doing right now, is, it's not as good. It's not as fun. It's not as fulfilling as something else I could be doing. Boredom. Romans chapter 8 talks about the, the boredom of creation, the the groaning of creation, that that all of creation knows this world is broken, that that all of creation knows that that there's something wrong with this world, that that this is not the best that there is. All of creation, Romans 8, Paul tells us is is longing, is is eagerly waiting, is, is groaning in pain, is in boredom for the best that's yet to come that in heaven, in this recreated, this restored, this, this new earth, all of creation knows that this experience of what we have right now is, is not as good, not as fulfilling, not, not as sweet as what's to come. In heaven, there, there will be no boredom because there's nowhere else you're gonna wanna be. There, there's nothing else that you're gonna be wanting to do. We'll be flooded with joy. Seen the grace every day the pleasure of the Lord forever it won't be boring Myth number one heaven will be boring so not true Myth number two heaven will be non-physical this myth this myth says that that people um, that are that our flesh is is wicked, our flesh is sinful, that that we have been so marred by the curse that that our flesh is is inherently evil, and therefore in heaven, there will be no material, there will be no physical, only the immaterial. So when we die, our our body will be buried, but in heaven, there will be only souls. Our, Our body will not rise again. Our body will not be resurrected with Christ, but our, our body will stay that in heaven is this, this floating, hovering souls that it's all non-physical, non-matter. Turn to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter three. I'm sorry, Philippians, Philippians chapter three. Again, Paul, Paul who has seen this, this vision of heaven, Paul who has seen the, the body, the literal, physical body of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter three Verse 20, Philippians 3, verse 20 says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Paul always refers to heaven as this this tangible place, a a city, a country, a a kingdom, that, that our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who? Who Jesus will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. There's two things here. We all have a lowly body. Can we say that? That's a good word. Lowly body. Can we say that? That right now, what we have is a lowly body. See, and that means if, if, we, if we take too much pride in our body, if, if we have made exercise or diet an idol, if, if we have made looking into the mirror as an idol, we have a lowly body. And if we feel shame because of our body, if, if we feel insecurity because of our body, it's because we have a lowly body. Our body has been cursed. It's because of sin. But there's good news, because Jesus will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. I don't think that all that means we're all gonna be supermodels. I don't think that's the point. Our body will still be our body, but it will be a perfect body. a a completely restored, fully functioning body. It will be a redeemed body. The the curse will will be gone. JC, one of our elders, JC, when you die, you're going to be in heaven? He was quick. He's confident. He knows. JC, when when you're in heaven, I'm going to be there. And and JC, in heaven, I'm going to look for you. Can, Can we just like make a deal right now that at some point, we'll have time, at some point, can we meet up? Like, can we hang out in heaven? All right, let's do it. And the way that I'm gonna look for JC, the way I'm gonna recognize is, I'm gonna look for your body. I'm gonna look for your appearance. I'm gonna recognize JC. I'm going to look for, for JC because JC, if if your body didn't go to heaven, then I, where is it? See, the way that that... that that the body is a part of J.C., that, the, that his body is a part of his identity, so we will be given a glorious, a resurrected, a, a new body, but it's still gonna be our, our body. We're not just all absorbed up into the masses as this like neutral, all looking the same kind of people. We retain our, our appearance. Was that true of Christ? When Jesus was Was resurrected with his his glorious body at Easter, at the empty tomb. Did he retain his his same appearance? In in any way, was was Jesus, when he first met his disciples, did, did he have to like introduce himself like they didn't recognize him? And he's like, hi, I'm Jesus? No, immediately they knew who he was. Our body will be changed. 1 uh, Corinthians 15, 52 says, our, our bodies will be changed, that, that in a twinkling of the eye, that there is this, this mystery, that at the last trumpet, as we are resurrected, our bodies will be changed, they will be transformed, they will be glorious, the curse will be gone, but, but they're still gonna be our, our bodies. Jesus, did he, did he retain his, his same appearance? From the gospels, all that we know is absolutely Yes. Now, will that be the same of us? I don't know. It's a mystery. But why not? See, we're not just all absorbed up into the masses. We're we're not just floating souls or disembodied spirits floating around us as a ghost, that that we have a changed, a transformed, a a resurrected new body. Okay, I know Jesus also walked through a wall in his resurrected body. That happened, right? Is that going to be the same for us? I don't know.'d be pretty cool, wouldn't it? I know Jesus also teleported himself on the road to Emmaus in, in his resurrected body. I, that sounds like a great way to travel. I don't know if that'll be us, but the point is, Jesus had a literal, a physical, a, a resurrected body. And not just the, the appearance, not just the body of Jesus stayed the same, but even the sound of his voice. John chapter 20 is, is, a, is a story with, with Mary Magdalene, one of Jesus's close friends. And Mary is, is at the empty tomb and she's, she is looking down. She stooped down, looking into the tomb, and she is just weeping, realizing the body of Jesus is gone. She thinks it's been stolen. And she is just inconsolable, just, just weeping at the empty tomb. And Jesus is standing nearby. She doesn't know it yet. Jesus is, is standing by just kind of like observing, just watching her. And she is just, she is a wreck, just weeping. And then Jesus says the sound of Mary's name. Jesus says, Mary. And immediately, she recognized him as the Savior. And immediately, she, she stops crying, she jumps up, and she gives Jesus this huge bear hug. See, Jesus not only retained his, his appearance, his body, he, he retained the sound of his voice. Is that going to be the same for us? I, I don't know. Why not? We are to imagine what heaven will be like. I know it's limited, and I know we are incapable, but heaven is a physical, tangible, literal place. Not just the body, not just the sound, but Jesus' relationships, his, his personal memory, his personal history with the disciples. With his resurrected body, he knew exactly where the disciples would be, he knew someone would be in hiding in this room. He knew their house. He knew someone would be fishing, He knew exactly where to find them. He remembers their names. He, he remembered that that Thomas would, would likely doubt that he would have to show Thomas his, his scars, his hands, his feet, the scar on his side. He, Jesus remembered he, he knew that he would have to reinstate, that he would have to restore Peter three times. See, in all of Jesus' relationships, he, he picks up exactly where he left off. Will that be the same for us? Can you think about that? That if you've lost a loved one, if life was cut short for someone, maybe it was a child, or, or tragically in an accident, a heart attack, if life was cut short and unexpected and someone was taken from this earth, I think that we have the hope that we can then, in heaven, pick up that relationship exactly where it left off. Jesus does. We have this hope of heaven. We have this, this promise of heaven. Scripture clearly conveys there's, there's some kind of connection. There's, there's some kind of carryover. There's a continuity between this life and the next life. Heaven is a a physical, a tangible place, and for Jesus, he retained his his personal memory, his identity, his history, his his body, his voice, his appearance. Will the same be for us? I don't know. Why not? Myth number three, heaven will be non-earthly. Heaven will be non-earthly. The Bible uses heaven in three, three different ways, First, it uses the word like in Genesis one, just to refer to heaven as, as all of the created the, the created heavens and universe, the the created ferment, the expanse, the galaxies, the planets, all of the creation, Genesis one. second way heaven is, is referred to in scripture is, is like Revelation chapter four the the throne room of god the 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 temporary intermediate state of heaven, where where, where God is right now, where, where those who are in Christ who have who have died are are right now. And the Bible uses a third way to talk about heaven, as heaven, as the, the new heavens, as as the new earth. This this is the future. This this becomes the dwelling place where, where God and man reside together. Turn to Second Peter. Second Peter, chapter three. See, I think if we can understand the, the location of heaven, that, that the picture becomes so much more clear, Second Peter, chapter three. We're going to look at verse 13. Second Peter, chapter three, verse 13 says, uh, "But according to His promise." Again, we we have a promise of heaven. According to his promise, we are waiting, we we are groaning, we are longing for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. In in Greek, there are two words for new. There's the word kainos, uh, which means new in nature, new in quality, And there's the word neos, which means new in time, or new in space, new in origin. Here, Peter uses for the new heavens, the new earth, new kainos. This is not the same as as Genesis 1, where where God, for the first time, is creating out of nothing. That would be neos, new in time, new in space. This is... is, um, This is new in, I'm sorry, that would not be neos, that would be kinos. Here, God is not making new for the first time. He's not creating something new for the very first time. He he is recreating it. He is is restoring it back to the original condition. Think of like restoring like a, a car or, or th- restoring some kind of like piece of, of furniture. You're, you don't just like scrap the car, scrap the furniture and, and start over. You, you restore it. That, that, that's the point. You try to restore it back to the original condition. And that's what Peter is telling us, that, that the new heavens, the, the promise of the new heavens, the new earth, is, is not made new in time. It's made new in nature, new in quality, just like that we are a new creation in Christ, that, that when we are born again, we are not born for the second time. No, we are, we are born in a new nature. We are, we are born in a new quality, that, that we have received the righteousness of, of God, and, and now we have this, this new life, that we have been born again. We're not born for the second time, we're, we're born in this new nature. This is the same thing that, that Peter is telling us that in this promise, that, that God is going to create, he's, he's going to create a new heavens, a new earth. Not for the second time, but, but he's gonna create something that's, that's new in nature, new in quality, that, that he's gonna take what already exists, that, that God will remove the curse, he will pull out the sin, that he will restore this fallen earth, this fallen world back to the original condition. That's Revelation 21 and 22, the, the picture of the new Jerusalem descending out of heavens to the earth, that, that we have this new earth, this transformed earth, this restored earth. So the myth that heaven will be non-earthly, it's, it's not true. It's not non-earth. It's a new earth. So all we have to do is look around and imagine the curse has been removed, that, that sin is now gone, that there's not even a, a weed in the field. I know it's a little bit harder here in Indiana, but you've been places, right? Like you've been places where, where you have seen just the, the breathtaking beauty. I mean, just the, the glory of, of the creation. You have seen glimpses of paradise here on this fallen world, and if it took Jesus six days to create this world, imagine what he's going to create after 2,000 years of perfecting and planning and thinking. It's going to be far better. This, this heavens and new earth, and, and we will have new bodies, memories, emotions, desires that are redeemed. We will eat, we will drink, there'll be feasts, we'll have relationships, we will walk and worship and explore, we will work, we will create, we will rest. This will be like heaven on, on earth. Before the fall, Genesis 1 and 2, Adam and Eve, they had physical bodies, they walked, they talked, they ate, they had jobs, they rested, they worked, they created this is the return back to the life as God has originally planned, as He has originally intended. In Matthew 8, verse 11, Jesus um, says, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. What do you do at a table? You eat, you talk, you share stories. Can you picture that? That in heaven, that, that we would have the chance, like, like JC, we, we could sit with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and we could talk, and we can eat, and we can share stories. See, I think our tendency is we over-spiritualize heaven, right? When, when Scripture clearly talks about heaven as this, this tangible place, Heaven is a, a literal, physical, tangible place. And if we have bodies like Jesus, these resurrected and transformed bodies, that if we retain our, our appearance and voice and, and maybe even our memory, our, our relationships, it seems like heaven is actually gonna be a whole lot more familiar than unfamiliar. But it's gonna be far better. It's gonna be perfect. The view that heaven will be non-earthly no. It's new earth. Myth number four, heaven will be filled with mansions. Have you heard of that one? Heaven will be filled with mansions. That sounds good. Is it true? Turn to John 14. John 14, heaven will be filled with mansions. Well, I think the answer it kind of depends on your translation. John chapter 14 verses 1 through 3. Jesus says, "Let your hearts uh, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are are many rooms." I'm reading from the ESV version. If you're reading from the King James Version or the New King James Version, that's going to say, in my Father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. See, John is giving us this this metaphor, He's he's giving us this this word picture for what heaven will be like. Just like in John chapter 15, John gives us a metaphor. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Jesus isn't literally a vine. We're not literally branches. It's it's a word picture, it's a metaphor. Same thing here, John 14. In in heaven, heaven is a kingdom, and, and in heaven there will be many rooms, there will be many mansions. Both words are are possible words. But I think the, the King James Version kind of misses the metaphor. Really, if you think about it, it doesn't even really make sense. In my father's house, in a house, are many mansions. That doesn't really even fit the metaphor. It's a possible word, but a lot of other translations, the NIV, the ESV, the NASB, will we'll use the word rooms because the word rooms tends to fit the metaphor a little bit better. It's, it can be the same word, same synonym. In my father's house are, are many rooms. That sounds right. That sounds like it fits the picture. But the intent, the, the intent is, is not about a, a big opulent mansion. That's not the point. The, the, the point isn't even about in, in heaven you will have your own room. You know, with, with a room that you can decorate, a, a room with a bed and a dresser, that, that's not the point at all. Another way is, is, is for, the, for the author to say, in my father's house are many dwelling places. But that doesn't really fit the metaphor either, it doesn't sound quite as clear, and so translators have gone with the word rooms, that fits the metaphor best, but the intent is dwelling places. that that in heaven is the dwelling place where God can live with man. That's the point, That, that sin has been removed, that we are no longer separated in our relationship with God and that we have the promise that in heaven we can live with God, that we can live in the dwelling place in the presence of God. That's not possible now. But in heaven, we have the promise that we can live with God, that we can be near God, that we can be close to God, that we can have this, this relationship and, and direct access to God Himself. I think the reason this, this metaphor of, of mansions is, is so misleading is there's a lot of people who they want to believe they're going to heaven. They, they want to believe there is a mansion waiting for them in heaven but they want nothing to do with the presence of God now. But that's the point. The presence of God is the promise. If that's all that we have in heaven, that's enough. The presence of God, that's our hope. That's what we're waiting for, for mankind to be dwelling with the presence of God. Our bodies will be resurrected. The earth will be restored. And because of Jesus, our our relationship with God has now been reconciled. We're not going to miss a mansion. Heaven is going to be so far better. Myth, heaven will be filled with mansions. Myth number five, last myth, the myth that you only live once. That's a myth. See, if you're a child of God, you don't just go around once. You go around twice, once here and now in these bodies, in this fallen world, and once later in a resurrected body, in a new earth, in an undying earth forever. And and so without this this clear picture of heaven, I I think we we assume that that people people who, who die young, people who who have a, a chronic illness or, or handicap, a disability, or maybe just somebody who, who doesn't get married, that, that they miss out on the best that this life has to offer. But that assumes this life, here and now, is the best life that we will experience. And that is not true, because the best is yet to come. The best picture, the best hope, the best is yet to come. Uh, Our lives here on earth are are not superior to what's ahead, to what we have waiting for us. Uh, The term afterlife, like just that word itself implies that our real life is right now. That that whatever is to come just follows the the real existence of this life, and that's not true. Uh, This is our before life, that in Christ, this is our before life, that the best is still yet to come. As Christians, we have, have two opportunities to live on the earth. And this first one, it's, it's a dash. It is just a dash. It begins and it ends. It is brief. The Bible says that our life is like a, a mist, a vapor that's, that's here for a while and then gone. The second opportunity is, is like this line. It, it begins with a rapture. It begins with a resurrected body, and it, it continues to go into all of endless eternity forever. And church, we, we need to be living our, our dash of life. We need to be living for the line. Living the dash. Living is like, I only live once. And, and that means I, I have to experience certain things now. I, I have to pursue this, this intimate relationship right now, that I have to pursue, I, I have to achieve this pleasure right now, because if I don't, I will miss out on it. That's not true. That, that's, that's living the dash. There are things on, on this life that we should be storing up as treasures into heaven, with this eye towards eternity where where the thief will not steal, where the moth and the rust will not destroy. We need to be living the line of eternity. We we need to be foregoing certain pleasures that we are pursuing now, knowing it is far better in heaven. And I can delay the gratification now because it is far better in heaven. Does anybody have a bucket list? I like bucket lists, but the very thought of a bucket list implies that you have to experience something right now. A bucket list is our, our motivation for, for we have to do something right now, because if I don't do it now, I, I never will, I don't think it's true. We don't just live once, we, we live twice. Actually, I think our, our bucket lists are, are too narrow they're, they're too specific and tied to, to this life and what we can experience now in, in limited bodies, and in limited time, limited energy. I think actually we, we can expand our bucket lists greatly if we have this eye towards eternity. Think about that. What, what would your bucket list be in eternity? It totally changes, Where's a place you want to explore? Where's a place that you want to go? What's something that you want to do? What's a relationship that that you want to continue to build into? It just continues to go forever. I think our our bucket lists now are actually too narrow, too small. If we get so fixated on, on here and life and today, God has a purpose for your life. And God has called you to do something. And, and if what we do now in this life, if, if this matters, if this echoes into eternity, listen, God wants to give you a story. And so when you're at the table hanging out with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that you have a story to share, that, that you have a story from, from this dash of our life, that, that you have this calling, that, that God wants to use you, that he wants to work in you and through you here and now, he, he, he wants to give you life now so that ultimately we have a life in the future, that we have eternity to share and to talk about the few, the little things that we did with this life. God has a purpose for your life. The Bible says our days are numbered. You have an expiration date. We all do. We need to stop living for the dash and live for the line. We we need to forego certain pleasures now because we know that ultimately we are laying up our treasure which is in heaven, which will last forever. God wants to give us this, this purpose. He wants to give us this, this story. He wants to be using our lives now for his glory that we can take that into eternity. We used to live near this uh this this graveyard. And I would sometimes walk around through the graveyard. Is that weird? Anybody else do that? I, I would walk around through this graveyard a couple times, and, and I noticed there, there's only one thing that every stone has in common. I mean, there's sizes, there's different shapes, different rock, there, there's different inscriptions, different names, there's different dates. There's only one thing on every gravestone that it has in common it's a dash. There is a date that somebody is born, followed by a dash and a date that they died. When we die, our whole life's existence is summed up with a dash. All of our accomplishments, all of our life's work, everything that that we have worked so hard for in this life is is summed up with a, a scratch on the rock. But because of Jesus... Church, we are not limited to this dash of our life, that we have the promise, that we have the hope, that we can now be living for eternity, that we can be living the line for eternity. Church, what we do in this life matters. God has a calling for you. He wants to give you a story to share. He wants for it to echo into eternity. Church, let's be living not the dash, let's be living the line. Let's pray. Lord, we can't just talk about heaven if we don't have the full confidence that we absolutely know where we are going. And Lord, we can be crystal clear in our decision in knowing God that that we can be with you in paradise, that that we can live a a life with with you with security, that we can have full confidence, God, in this beauty, in this glory, in this place that you have prepared. Lord, if there's anyone here who, who has questions of heaven, who who has doubts of of heaven, of anyone who who has any kind of uncertainty, Lord, be using your spirit, be using their word to be speaking into them. Lord, be drawing them to yourself. Lord, may they talk with somebody. May they seek someone out. May they talk with us as a church. Lord, forever is a long time, and what you have prepared is the best Lord, we are living in a broken and a fallen world. The best is yet to come. Lord, that is our hope. That is our promise. Lord, that is what you have revealed to us by your word. Lord, may we live for you. May this life matter in a way that we live for your glory, that we will not steal your glory, but God, that we will live for your purposes, storing up treasures in heaven, knowing the best life is yet to come. Lord, we await your grace. Show us your grace. In the name of Jesus, amen.